this time on Star Trek Gold Key Theater. Star Trek, the hijacked planet. One man without military might or even the economic power of a nation behind him is about to take possession of an entire world. Only Mr. Spock, second in command of the Starship Enterprise, can stop him. But incredibly, the cool and emotionless Mr. Spock will be betrayed by something he never knew he possessed. His own emotions. Drop your weapons, gentlemen. One move of my trigger finger will destroy this miniaturized world and every living thing on it. You're responsible for this incredible disaster, Mr. Spock. Don't waste your breath, Captain. You kind of hear a word you're saying. Captain's Log Supplemental. It is early in the 23rd century that the first erratic eruptions of the third largest star of star system 83 Beta were recorded. Air was thick with conflicting theories at the Science Council of the Federated Planets. Though we cannot agree on the precise origin of the explosions, these pictures taken over the past 30 days prove that the danger to planets era grows immediate. It will be many years before Sierra burns up in one of those explosions. But long before that, its population will have been baked to death. Those people are doomed. In the short time remaining, it would be impossible to supply enough transportation. If I may interrupt the illustrious Dr. Kleeg, there is one way in which an entire world can be saved. However, for reasons of security, I hesitate to discuss this in open session. I ask for a top-secret meeting of the Inner Council. And thus was born Project Atlas, the most astounding undertaking in the history of the universe. Captain's Log, Stardate 3248.6 Under AAA Highest Priority Orders of the Supreme Council of United Federation of Planets, we are proceeding at maximum speed to planet Stira. <laughs> nice return! That's a great compliment coming from the best Zapball player on the ship. Ah, uh, that's game, set, and match. I claim my prize, Lassie. And here it is. Mwah! And that's the best you can do, me girl. Please, Scotty, we weren't playing for the Interplanetary Zapball Championship. Mr. Scott, Mr. Scott, are you aware that you were scheduled for helm duty one hour ago? I am aware of me duties, Mr. Spock, but I got Lieutenant Sulu to fill in for me. Unauthorized exchange of duties, specifically forbidden under Article 118 of your general orders. And broken more often than a foolish girl's heart. So don't blow your Vulcan fuse at me, Mr. Spock. Had you been at your post you would have known that all executive staff were called to emergency session. All that is, except you. Shall we, Mr. Scott? Always as cool as they come. Sometimes I wish he really would blow his top. You've forgotten, lassie. A Vulcan has no emotions. This videotape contains our secret orders, which we can now... Ah, Mr. Scott. So glad you can join us. You wouldn't need a zap-ball funnel, though. Officers of the Starship Enterprise, your mission is the transportation of the entire planet Sierra to a safe new home. What? I am Dr. Linugo, and it is my recent discovery of the process I call 
biomagnetic recording for which you can blame your journey. Regard this tiny crystal. Your captain has a similar crystal which he will now place in the portable retransmitter given him. That crystal contains a recording of every cell of a living thing. The retransmitter will now return the energy removed from that being and... Restore the creature precisely as it was prior to recording. Fantastic! A dog! Magnetically recorded and stored. The animal is physically perfect, but his brain's been damaged. Otherwise, why would the wee thing be kissing Mr. Spock? <laughs> Your humor completely escapes me, Mr. Scott. Even now, giant transmuting planets are at work around the broiling world, turning all living things into bio-recordings. By your arrival, every bit of life on Stira will be recorded. The final act will be the recording of the very world itself. Incredible. We're going to move a whole planet. Project Atlas has been kept top secret for obvious reasons. The slightest interference in our work could destroy every living. Attention, all personnel. Unidentified space vehicle on our scanner. It does not answer our calls. What's that thing doing out there? It's a little emergency craft, not a space cruiser. If they abandon their ship, where is it? I shall see if we cannot get a swift answer to those questions, gentlemen. Prepare the hatch for space debarkation. No engines functioning. Can't tell how it's been floating out here. I hope the exterior controls of the space hatch are functioning. So far, so good. Now to see what lies inside. A woman. Completely alone out here. How did that happen? And is she still... Yes, she's still alive. She's trying to talk, even in her unconscious state. Pulling any ship in space sector 18J. Emergency. Out of fuel. All supplies gone. Can't hold out. Answer, somebody. This is my last transmission. Please answer. You have been answered, young woman. Let us hope it is not too late. Come in. Somebody. Anybody. No more fuel. Supplies gone. Can't last any longer. What a nightmare she's been through. Such a young thing, too. She's gonna be all right. Must be a lot stronger than she looks. I'll take some fuel over to her ship and fly it back here. See you shortly, Captain. I've seen this woman someplace before. But where? Not important, I suppose. Later, aboard ship. Where am... How long have you been sitting there, staring at me? Just a few minutes, Allura. Allura what? That's all it said on your identity disc. That's all I use. One name. Sorry I caused you all this trouble. I thought I could make it to nearest space station. In that little flivver you were flying? It's not for deep space. I know. I was aboard Starship, but I had to leave. That little shuttle ship was all there was. You don't just leave a ship in deep space. I had to. I couldn't stand him any longer. Ansar, my partner in show business. He plays one of those crazy Budapaphones. I'd love to hear you play that thing in a vacuum tunnel. You can't hear anything in a vacuum tunnel. Exactly. We played some big days, but mostly it was little backwater planets. How come you were born on Uranus? I wanted to be near my mother. I tried to leave him a dozen times, but he always hung on to me. I've got to go, Anzar. It's only way. Stick with me, Alora. I'll make it big soon. Wait and see. From then on, he was always involved in some shady scheme. It nearly did him in. We don't have enough of a case against you this time, Anzar. But watch your step. And then he started another scheme. Something bigger than anything before. I don't know exactly what. So you stole the fliver and left him in space. I knew you had uncommon courage the moment I climbed into your ship. 
I knew you were the one who saved me. I just knew it. Excuse me, Mr. Spock. We've just picked up planet Stira on our scanner. We landed near one of the giant transmutation plants, where the executive technician explained the operation. These are the last Strians to undergo transmutation. Our own technicians. The TM beam, like a giant laser, scans and records their cell structures. While the excess energy is burned off. This single tape, through micro-recording, holds an entire city of 100,000 people. The last job, recording the planet itself, will be done from a space station. From a point near space, the great scanner did the final job. And there it is, gentlemen. The planet Styra on biomagnetic recording tapes. It amused us to have the file chest made as a miniature of our world. Mr. Spock will be in charge of security. Do your job well, Mr. Spock. Six hundred million souls are in your keep. I won't forget that. Even in the 23rd century, the thought of carrying an entire world in your hands is incredible. Given a great enough emergency, Allura, only the incredible is practical. Now, we'll lock away the planet Stira. And when did you think you'd ever see Mr. Spock acting like a lovesick cow? Never, Scotty. But I'm glad to see he's not just a living machine. Mr. Spock, there was no personnel report on my desk this morning. That's the second time this week. How about that? The girl has really gotten to him. Mr. Spock never forgot anything before in his life. Unidentified craft approaching. Refuses to return our signals. Send the final appeal for identification. Wait ten seconds and put a shot across their path. But before the final appeal could be made... They fired some kind of super flare. It's knocked out our video circuits. We're blind. Switching to emergency V circuits. We didn't have to switch circuits. They've recovered from the glare explosion. And look, the mystery ship is running from us. What was all that about? Red alert. Red alert. Ship's vault opened by unauthorized personnel. The vault. Good grief. Stira. It's gone. An entire world. Stolen. You were in charge of this, Mr. Spock. Explain it to me. The explanation was given itself, Captain. The woman, Alora, she's gone too. Yes. I thought that's what she was after. You see, gentlemen, I found Alora's ship completely fueled. And so I realized her shipwreck was quite phony. What? You let this happen. Calm yourself, Captain. Allura is trapped in the space hatch. I set the trap myself last night. Think again, Mr. Spock. That warning light says that the hatch is defective on close inspection. We will find that the outer hatch has been blown open. While our video was jammed, Allura blew the hatch and escaped to the mystery ship with the planet Stira. Nice work, Mr. Spock. Captain's Log, Stardate 3248.9. We were entrusted with the lives of an entire planet, and we dishonored that trust. Only now has the enormity of our failure begun to reveal itself. Attention, Starship Enterprise. I have the planet Sierra in my possession. I believe it's the first time anybody could make that statement, eh? <laughs> Carry this message to the Federated Planets. 100 million credits will be deposited into my account within 24 hours 
or Styra dies. How does the woman look to you now, Mr. Spock? Now that she is the co-assassin of 600 million people. With a scrambling device to secure transmission, we immediately conveyed the message to the council. Leaving us no choice. We cannot permit the lives, the history, the culture of an entire world die for the want of money. Gentlemen, the process of recording entire worlds exists. Therefore, this kind of blackmail can be repeatedly applied. It must stop now! Yes. Right, call the vote. The vote has been carried. We shall do everything short of paying blackmail to save Stira. This decision remains top secret. This decision shall not be made public immediately so that you may be free to act, Captain Kirk. I understand, sir. We'll need all the maneuvering room we can get. This Anzar means business. Your basic terms were acceptable to the Council, but certain details need to be worked out. Why, Captain, you're bargaining. Fine. I'm an old trader myself. I'll meet you in the great cave of Lurota at noon tomorrow. He'll meet with only two of us. I want you, Mr. Spock. Maybe you can start unscrambling this mess you made. I hope you've considered this carefully, Captain. One slip, and that world is dead. You should have thought about that before you decided to play a lone hand, Mr. Spock. That's how we got into this. A very impressive office. You do well for a second-rate entertainer, Mr. Anzar. It's all new, gentlemen. Amazing how much credit you can get when somebody knows you're about to come into a fortune. <laughs> Actually, there is no point in negotiating matters, Captain. I'll take no less than 100 million in precious jewels and the rarest of metals. No cash, thank you. You never meant to bargain, Anzar. And I never meant to pay you. The best I'll do is spare your life. Don't reach for your weapon, Captain. First, observe the rifleman, who keeps the planet Stira always within his sights. One hasty move, and he would destroy it. He can't hit what he can't see. Drop, Spock. Thank you for the invitation, Captain. Another misjudgment, Captain. I am not a one-man show any longer. Gentlemen, meet some of the most charming cutthroats in the known universe. We've really done it this time, Mr. Spock. The Council will have our heads for this. If there are any heads left to have, Captain. I'll take the right tunnel, you take the left. The first man who spots the exit cries out, Good luck! No, I'm afraid it was bad luck, Mr. Spock. Here you go, Spock. It's not the best grub going, but it'll keep your backbone from meeting your belly button. Very gracious of you, and Anzar. It is me. Ah, I'd know that voice anywhere. The great betrayer of space, Allura. Forgive me. I couldn't help myself. You see, Anzar is my brother, and he's, he's not well. That is the greatest understatement in the history of intelligent life. I have to protect him. They'll put him away otherwise. Forgive me if I find myself more concerned with the fate of 600 million Styrans. If you want to undo some of the harm, suppose you induce your brother to surrender Styra. Nothing turns him aside from his wild schemes. But uh, I will try. What? Surrender to these fools? When I have them at my mercy? Let them have it, Anzar. You'll need to rest. We could go away together. No, they will pay, you'll see. Unless, of course, they never planned to pay at all. In which case, 
You are as good as dead, Mr. Spock. Later, Mr. Spock asked for a second meeting. I have no wish to depart from the living before my time, Anzar. You are right. The council will not pay. Why are you telling me this, fool? It's your death warrant. Because I have a very simple scheme by which you can get double what you're asking. Guaranteed. You're a man of many talents, Mr. Spock. Duplicity being one, but speak on. Those transmutation tapes contain every citizen of Stira, including the very wealthiest. Think of what they would pay for their own world. Marvelous. <laughs> they wouldn't be so cold about it as the council. Wait, how would we communicate with the men on tape? With the portable transmutation machine aboard the Enterprise, which I will steal for you. Knowing all the secrets of our surveillance equipment, Mr. Spock was able to slip up on our ship unobserved. He was totally undetected, except for one chance encounter, which he quickly handled. Ugh! And within the hour, the portable transmuter was aboard their ship and on its way to Lutora. Marvelous. But how do we locate the richest men? Kixo. Nagatu, Zinflo. It's all very carefully indexed. The machine can locate that single dot on the tape containing any one person. But first, we have to clear the machine of any previous material. Biorecording is the most delicate work, obviously. What? Am I intruding? Shame on you, Anzar. Didn't you ever read about the Trojan horse? Spock didn't fall into your hands, Anzar. We planned it. So he could slip the transmuter on board here, and us record inside it. Score one for me, laddies. Ah! I'm right up here with you, Scotty. I got one. And you, sir, would do well to surrender. Yes, yes, I surrender. I see not everybody has surrendered. Correct, Captain. It is obvious that I can destroy Stira faster than you can move. Now, we will do as planned. We shall extract the billionaires and let them pay for Stira. We have no choice, laddies. I'll handle the controls on the machine. Don't do it, Scotty. He can't handle it himself. If we don't cooperate... Shut up! I'll kill you if you don't. I mean it! It's our lives or their money, Captain. I think you'll agree which one's more important. Hey! Easy, Anzar. He's a regular beast when he's been locked up for a while. Stop him! Get him off of me! He'll kill me! Why didn't you stop him sooner? He could have torn me to ribbons! I didn't know life was that important to you, Anzar. Weren't you threatening to take 600 million of them? This won't stop me, you know. I have other plans, schemes far beyond the grasp of your little brains. You'll see. Perhaps, but first you're going to have to see me. I'm a doctor, and you'll be seeing a lot of us. What will they do with him? Psychoprofiles, chemotherapy... Reorientation. It all depends on the precise condition. But you'll probably get him back one day. You knew all along that I was sent to trap you. I never had you interested in me for a minute. Don't short-self yourself, Allura. You're an uncommonly lovely woman. Shall we say, you made it very easy for me to pretend that I loved you. I... I... I'll settle for that. How did you ever think of bringing that tape of the dog with you? I didn't do it on purpose. I taped the dog earlier because I knew how you felt about it. What's the dog doing up here? I know he's a hero, but there are no pets permitted aboard, much less in the control room. 
As I was saying, I knew how you felt about pets on board ship, so I thought I'd record him again before you had him shot or something. Quite right, Mr. Scott. Actually, I was thinking of having him served at Officer's Mess. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, quite a story. Quite a job of acting, I must say. Uh, I think everybody who uh, who chimed in on that uh, did a fantastic job. Yeah, I, I, that was a lot of fun. So uh, here for the review section, we have uh, Brian, who was our uh, Mr. Spock this, this time. And friend of the show. And friend of the show. And a really great low resonant voice, which was so good for Spock and Sulu. Right, I, I, and I like how Mr. Sulu, uh, sa- you, were, you were able to make them sound different. Uh, when when I was doing them in the in the previous uh, classic Gold Key Theater, uh, they they ended up sounding kind of the same. Well, it, I just know that that um, George Decay, particularly as he's gotten older, really like over enunciates his his. Have you ever noticed when you listen to him speak, every consonant is <laughs> is right there. Cool. Well, too bad he didn't have more lines. <laughs> I was, I think, a tragedy, really. He very rarely shows up in these gold key issues. Yeah. All right, and also uh, here with us, uh, carried over from her stellar acting debut on the show, is Erin. Uh, Hello. Glad to be. Thank you. You've all. You're all wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. I couldn't have yeah. been as wonderful without working off of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually throwing flowers at you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, great. That that was like, I think that was like some professional acting going on. That's pretty good. You, Even you though great. maybe no one's paid you, but I think you deserve to be. Oh, Not that you're going to you. get any money from us. Don't give her any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I actually would like to take snippets of this recording and send it in on a demo tape. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> well... Yes, look look how good I can do against uh, these bozos. No, <laughs> you yourself yeah. short. You're a fantastic Kirk. Every time you played the female crew, the one that was playing the funnel ball or whatever it was with Scotty, I had to mute my my microphone because you just cracked me up. It was just hysterical. Right. Yeah, that was really good. Well, I was I definitely had a giant smile on my face for two, the two biggest characters that I just I was a uh, Anzar. His villainous voice, it was just so... You hate him. Like, he's just a scumbag. He has that voice to him. And then uh, Mr. Spock was so spot on. It was ridiculous. It was just... I I felt like it was Mr. Spock talking. Yep, yep. Shucks. Uh, Again, a low resonant voice. Not as slow as Sulu, but very good. Which, by the way, congratulations for trying to attempt that voice, especially since George Takei is still such a public figure... That his voice is very identifiable, Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's a challenge to try to attempt somebody with such an iconic voice. Well, I just did it because it was on the script, but it was. uh, (laughs) I do love George Takei, and I do love the sort of way he's reinvented himself in in this uh, third phase of his life. He's. uh, I I just. I really. I kind of admire George Takei, actually. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, when, when he when he went on to the uh, Howard Stern show, I was like, well, "What is going on?" You know, but uh, but like you said, he was able to become a personality that everybody now knows. Yeah. And just speaking of George Takei, real quick, I was watching uh, King Ghidorah and the Three Headed Monster, uh, King Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster, uh, an old uh, Toho movie with oh, Ghidra, isn't it Ghidra? Oh yeah, Ghidra, yeah. Ghidra. Anyways, he's in it. Really? No. And I was sitting there listening. I'm like, boy, that sounds like George Takei. And I looked it up, and sure enough, it was him. Does he do the the, the voiceover dubbing, or is yeah, he, he yeah, no, it was just this just his voice. Yeah. I saw, I saw an interview with him once where he said that he um, really wanted to to do the dubbing in Japanese for the Japanese versions of all Star Trek stuff, but for some right. union reasons, he couldn't do it. They wouldn't let him. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, that's too bad. That's weird. Yeah. But anyways. We're here to talk about Star Trek Gold Key number 18 today. Exactly. So, uh, overall, what did everybody think of the story? A pretty straightforward villain of the week type thing. 
Yeah, it really was kind of a black top hat heavy guy. Yeah, yeah the, the bad guy was pretty uh, single dimensional bad guy, and that's the way I tried to I've tried to play it. But kind of comic book like. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, caricature. I I I kind of liked it because uh, Spock was looking like a bit of a goat in this story, and I wasn't thinking it was all pre-planned. So, you know, they, these comics don't take me by surprise very much or very often because they tend to be pretty simplistic and not that great. But uh, that part of it uh, was good. I mean, the fact that it turned out to be a, a whole setup. So was it a whole setup, or I mean, he was trying to set her up, but I don't think anybody else was in it involved until the end right I, I thought Kirk had said towards the end well I knew that him them getting captured at the end was it was a trick but yeah but up until that point I don't think Kirk was was in the loop no in fact if anything I think they really overplayed Kirk getting down on Spock for screwing up I mean he kept bringing it up over and over I'm bringing you down to the planet because I want to see how badly you screwed up you know it right. was just they just keep rubbing it in his face. It did that didn't seem very Kirk like. Yeah. I think it's because Spock doesn't mess up, quote unquote. You know, he's he's everything if you follow his logic, it just seems like something so illogical that Kirk was like, What are you doing? So so what exactly was the mistake? He he let her go into the hatch, but then she surprised him by blowing the hatch and getting out anyway? It was that right. and, did, and did he really know that? He didn't realize that uh, she apparently was carrying C4 in her left heel. (laughs) (laughs) Every good girl carries C4 on their person at all times. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess guess she blew the hatch, and he wasn't expecting her to do that. Yeah, so he was surprised by that, so he did, in fact, screw up by allowing her to do that. Yep, you're right. But I do think initially Kirk thought that the big screw-up was the whole scheme, the right. whole planet being stolen. But then it <laughs> so Spock's like, no, I have it under control. Kirk's like, no, you don't. And then <laughs> the, the real mistake. But why, but why would Spock, Spock have that scheme? Why wouldn't he just keep her from taking it in the first place? Because <laughs> then, then the story would be too short. Ah, it has to be long enough. So biomagnetic tape. What a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful product of its time. And and my question is this: If you're recording these people, what happens to the actual people? Well, it's right? the same thing like a transporter. So that's different than recording someone. I mean, when they kept saying they were going to record somebody, I thought, you know, if I record something, I'm I still have the original thing. You know what I mean? Take well, a picture of something, and the and you still have the thing. Okay, and. and Donovan and I have gotten into this con- conversation many times about how transporters work. Mm-hmm. But the way it, I mean, this really is transporter technology. It's just that rather than, you know, transporting it from one place to the other, you're in the middle step, you're recording it onto, oh, eight track tapes. So, <laughs> which so never, which never go bad. becomes an eight track tape. Is what you're saying. <laughs> that, that, that's my understanding of this. Cutting edge technology. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that, that definitely stopped me when I was reading. I was just, I, I, I don't get it. There, maybe they took out the word recording or biomagnetic tape. Either of those, they yeah. just, they stopped me short. Yeah. Well, how does a transporter work? That, that, actually, getting your, getting your opinion on this would, would be helpful. I say. You are scanned down to the atom, which is incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. Your body is destroyed, and then it is reconstituted with that map that was transmitted digitally or whatever to another location. That's what I say. That's correct. That's what I say. I say that that it disassembles your molecules into on the atomic level and creates a a map, as you say, a data uh, plan, and then when re constructs the actual same molecules in well, that okay. same Well, okay. Yeah, see, that's the part that okay, we that, disagree that's the part. on. That's the part that Donovan and I disagree on. Well, then what are you beaming? What you're beaming is just the plan, or are you beaming the actual molecules? And if you're just, if you're just you're, beaming the plan, then why do we call it a matter stream? I, I don't know. Do they call it a matter stream? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't remember that phrase ever being used, but... Well, I'm thinking, for example, in the episode Relics, Next Generation, when Scotty yeah. gets caught <laughs> in the... In, he's caught, in, and, and the other in one, the his, pattern his pattern buffer. had degraded. In the pattern buffer. Yeah. 
Yeah, which again is another example of this. So you're saying that they're actually they're putting into the batter, pattern buffer matter, not okay. To not use, information. To, to use a to use a, a metaphor. Um, let's say um, person one has a, a Star Trek uniform and they want to send it, but they take it apart in pieces and they send a pattern with it so that the person on the other end can take those pieces and put it back together. What you're saying is they just send the pattern and the person cuts their own material and puts it together. So that the actual yes. matter is actually from whatever is around the in you know they're they're, they're not creating right. matter. You can't create matter. You cannot change the laws of physics, Ken. No, you, you can't destroy matter. You can just change its state. And by the way, this is the kind of deep dive that is totally reminding me of Big Bang Theory. But Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know about the Heisenberg about, principle. About things that don't actually exist. You well, I'm actually Heisen sitting here on my computer trying to find – I read a book a long time ago called The Physics of Star Trek right. where they had uh, actual physicists go through and try to say this is how everything would work or why it's impossible because this just could not work with the laws right. of physics. And that, was, uh, that was Lawrence Krauss, I believe. Who wrote that? And I'm trying to okay. I'm trying to find his article on transporters because it was it was brilliant. So like, okay, well maybe we should read that. And move <laughs> on. Do you you know about the Heisenberg principle? Uh, well, I did watch Breaking Bad. Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't, so I don't know what that means. But <laughs> well, it, it, the idea is that an electron, you really it, it, which circles on nucleus, you never really can pinpoint where it is. It doesn't really exist in a particular place. It's always well, – uh, and okay. so the Heisenberg – Because that sounds like quantum mechanics. Right, okay. and, in the, in, and when you watch Star Trek, they talk about the Heisenberg compensator for that very reason. And I remember they asked somebody, um, one of the – was it Rick Berman or – no, no, Mike Okuda, how does the Heisenberg compensator work? And he said, it works very well, thank you. <laughs> Well, it's like inertial dampeners. I mean, you, you you can't go through space without something like that, pretty much. Uh, Maybe you can't. But <laughs> but uh, but how does it actually work? It's like uh, I, I think they talk about inertial dampeners in that book you had mentioned, the physics of Star Trek. Anyway. Okay, now just I'm on the Star Trek uh, website, the official Star Trek website, which is probably one of the least like reliable things you can read, but it says that. Matter stream is a beam of phased dematerialized matter in a transporter that is sent from the transporter to the destination or vice versa and then is reconstituted back into the transported subject. Right. Okay. There you go. Which completely sounds patently impossible to me. <laughs> of course but it is. Can it? Star Trek. Okay. And wasn't there an episode where, where – um, Barkley gets transported, and we actually get to see what it's like inside the transporter stream. He, he grabs the uh, transporter alien or whatever it was. Yeah, like some kind of virus inside or bug like inside. Like he sees something while he's dematerializing, which is amazing because if your <laughs> eyes are dematerialized, how are you going to see anything? But okay, I, I always this is stupid, but I always thought that it would be great to have a shot from behind the transporter where you see the backs of everybody and then the transporter controls and the guy there. And then the transporter beam starts, and instead of – sure, they get all sparkly, but instead of them being what changes, it's the scene that changes from the transporter room to the planet's surface. But you're still looking at the backs of the people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there was an episode yeah. of Voyager where they, they had a POV shot from a Borg that was just floating in space that they beam on, and, and they do that exact same thing. I don't remember that. He's floating in space. You see like his hands in front of him, and then you see Voyager come up, and then it gets all sparkly, and then he shows up. He then it unsparkles, and uh, he's in sick bay or whatever. I gotta go. I have oh, to that find sounds that. cool. I have to find it. I don't remember that one, but that sounds pretty cool. Hmm. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> back to gold key number eighteen. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say that even though this is a silly, you know, kind of Saturday morning cartoon story, I do think on some level Gold Key is getting better. This is now, what, 73 when this was made? About the same time as the animated show, actually. And they're at least not making the same kinds of mistakes. No fire coming out of the nacelles, not a whole lot of green shirts, uh, you know, uniform shirts. Right. They're kind of really, like, egregious, silly, you clearly right. don't haven't ever watched the show sort of things. 
um, did not come up. There were some things well, that were incorrect. There were, there were some pretty bad ones, but I agree with you, not as bad. Like, for instance, why would Spock do a spacewalk? Right. Well, right. why did the transporters weren't working? Although I will say that that's more exciting or something. But right. why would he do a spacewalk? Uh, also, why would Mr. Scott do helm duty? I mean, he's the engineer. Right, and Scott at one point says, um, you've forgotten that a Vulcan has no emotions, which is like a, right. a common misunderstanding of Vulcans. Right. Yeah, but that, that's also something I think but, he would say, even if he's even if he's wrong, I think that's something that uh, the Scotty character would say. Or McCoy, you know, because they're both kind of... Racist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy's, McCoy's a jerk. Scotty's just a drunk that doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> Hey, I don't like that lad. Uh, I, I will agree that I think this this story is is less fantastical. I mean, yeah, you have the beaming of the planet or the the shrinking of the planet, however you want to word it. But but you know, there's no you know they're not fighting Godzilla like they were last issue. They're not uh, doing some of the other over the top craziness that we've yeah. seen Gold Key do. No paper mache Paris. Right. Oh, uh, that was a good one. <laughs> And I guess we're just supposed to assume that they actually reconstitute the planet and all the people somewhere that works in a gravitational place that goes around a star and, you know, or just hope. Yeah. That's an excellent point. There was no resolution to that entire element of the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still there. They kind of put them in the closet. They take them out every now and then. Kind of like, they have uh, it like Candor, like the city of Candor. <laughs> I thought of Candor a lot in this one. And every time I kept kind of, oh, this is so silly, then I thought, oh, well. If Kandar's cool, then this has to be cool too. Because I can't, I can't be hypocritical here. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, at least instead of magnetic recording, biomagnetic recordings, there were little teeny tiny people in, in the city of Kandar. I actually thought about the the second episode with Moriarty um, and the the um, holodeck? holodeck, where they created a teeny weeny holodeck and it keeps running and they don't know that they're still running sort of eternally. Oh, that's that's interesting. So where were they going to put this? Did they did they ever actually say? No, they didn't bother. But that's a good point. They would have to find a new solar system, and you know, plot out exactly the right place to put it and push it into orbit <laughs> and deal with all the gravitational. Well, exactly right. So they have to have it just balanced between between gravitational start. pull and that another that other force that is not coming to my mind right now. But here's here's my theory yes, on what sir. they do. I think they went to SETI Alpha, the 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 star SETI Alpha, mm-hmm. and just dropped it off. You know, make it SETI Alpha Six or something like that. <laughs> and then that's what threw off the orbits of those planets that then destroyed Khan's world. Mm-hmm. It's all because they added a new planet. Ah, that must be it. It's the only explanation. Ken, you're gonna have to do that again. That was kind of half-hearted. Let's hear it for real. Khan. Better. Well. <laughs> So uh, the love interest between Spock and Alora, did did anybody like that storyline? No, I thought it was I thought it was fine. I mean, it's not like Spock hasn't had love interest in the TV show. They didn't really play it up. That I mean, he just he said a few like flirty things, but they didn't really, yeah. you know, didn't really go there. He wasn't what do they call a lovesick cow? No. Yeah, they really. It was like the other people's impression of what was going on was that they were like. That he was crazy about her, and I I didn't really get that. Right. From him, at least. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I, I mean, it, the visuals that that I think you're missing out on, Aaron, is that there is there's a shot of him like drinking tea with her, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. But there, there's a few times when they get caught and she's like hugging him or something like that, and I think that's what's fueling some of their. Oh, you're right. I, I I forgot about that. You're right. I'm looking at it. It's on. I don't know what page it's on. There is a shot of them in each other's embrace when somebody well, in a green shirt. Well, that's shirt. when she's telling the, the horrible story of, of Anzar, and he, he comforts her with a hug. <laughs> Plutonic, of course. <laughs> and what's that creepy line about, how long have you been staring at me? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I, I was a little uncomfortable. And then you know when she when he says he knows her name, I kept thinking of uh, Back to the Future when he when his mom knows that his name's Marty because it's on his underwear. Right. And she's like, "How do you know my name?" And I was like, "Oh, she calls him he Calvin, saw it, right?" He saw it on your underwear. Oh, that's right, that's right. Calvin's Calvin. his name. Calvin Fine. 
Anyways, I was thinking the same thing here that uh, that he checked her drawers. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, her data disc. About that. Identity disc. Her data disc. Where'd she keep that data disc anyway? <laughs> it's in the Does other booth. Does everyone booth. have a data disc? I'm confused. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, that's what I got out of it. They they insinuated that. Okay, there's anyway, also so, a scene where, where they're gonna where in the in the scene where they take the hundred thousand people of a city and they transmute them all at once. That there's a shot it's right under actually Spock in embrace of the um whatever, whatever her name was Allura. Allura. Uh, <laughs> great name Allura. <laughs> the and Allura. Um, it really reminded me. There's an old movie called oh, what is it? There's a it's Last Days of Pompeii. Is it where there's actually a Big machine that, that zaps everybody. You know what I'm talking about? This old science fiction film. Sounds like a Doctor Who episode. No, it kind of does. Kind of. Kind of. I'll find <laughs> no, it. I'll send I, it I to you. Remember. Sorry, guys out there in podcast land. Yeah. So they got zapped before the Mount Vesuvius covered them up with lava. Is that? Yeah, I think maybe I'm mixing two things up, but it was clearly a an old. It was not. It was that kind of a science fictiony movie. For some reason, I think it had to do something to do with Pompeii. Well, if Doctor Who couldn't save those people, I have my doubts about these other people. I, I don't think he they were trying to save them. Oh, what? They zapped him as killing him? As I killed. think so. I think it was an evil thing. Mm. Let's kill you before you get uh, drowned in lava. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a mercy killing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so uh, having the villain of a, a vaudeville superstar... Um, that that Kirk has actually seen at some point because I'm assuming that's where he. Oh, that's where the reference came that's from. Where he's like, I've seen you somewhere, but I don't know where. I'm assuming he must have seen this vaudeville act or something. Oh, right. Good point. So, but but having the you know the vaudeville guy being the super the super villain, I, I thought was, I thought that was actually kind of kind of interesting, and having him just like snapped. He's not he's not evil. He's just crazy, which makes him evil. I think he's kind of evil too, but. Now, there was an event that made him snap? I don't know, but they keep acting like they're going to be able to rehabilitate him with, with medication or whatever. Oh, but, well, that's what they do in the future, right? They, <laughs> they, they, they don't lock people away for life. They rehabilitate you somehow through mind control. <laughs> yeah, that, that was weird. That was scary. And yeah. chemotherapy? I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? That's poison. You are going to slowly poison this man until he gets better. <laughs> yeah, I found that disturbing. Almost as disturbing as when they, you know, destroyed an entire planet, the surface of a planet. Ah! Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, because the uh, the animated plants were going to uh, get people or something? They default... They, right, yeah, it was a planet of... of... Torch the... Uh... Towards the surface. It was the first episode, first issue actually, issue. and they. I think you're right. So they just complete. It's in a different galaxy. They go out there, they check it out. They find out that these plants are hostile, so they just burn the surface of the planet. Right, and wasn't that Spock's decision? Yeah, Spock. I mean, Spock. Spock. Not only came up with the idea, but he ordered it. Right. And that would that would reference what I was talking about um, in uh, the the egregious errors in the beginning of this run. Yeah. Right. Yep. No, that was the right thing to do, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you guys seen a Clockwork Orange? Oh yeah. Because this was, to I mean, towards the end when they were when Spock was describing all this stuff, and you, you may get him back eventually. It just totally was giving me a Clockwork Orange vibe. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. I, I hear that. Owl at the end. Yeah. yeah, I hear it. He's just strapped in a movie theater. Just, it's a horrifying. You just, you just made this so much darker for me. Than it was Sorry. before. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. So that cover was uh, kind of interesting. Spock looks like Dracula. Yeah, he does. He looks ghoulish. I mean, he looks like he's about to, you know, just you know, attack this guy. The the cover paintings on these gold keys are usually quite good. So this yeah, one, they are. They, oh, I, it's I didn't good. Like this one. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't have the book, it it shows like a a melted cityscape. And then it shows like this big laser shooting, like these people who are waiting in line to get shot with the laser. And then behind behind the cityscape, you see uh, Anzar holding up the world with a blaster up next to it, and Spock about to pounce on him or hug him. Either way, nah, I think so his arms are like right around him. He's about to do the nerve pinch on both sides. I think so. Yeah. Well, I, I from the look standpoint, I I kind of like the cover, but. It does look kind of 
Because when I was first looking at it before I read the comic, I didn't know what was going. I mean, it looks like like they're killing those people with this big laser. Right. Until you until you get inside, you don't know that they're they're recording them onto eight tracks. What would happen if that eight track got a little kink in it? Would somebody like that? Never happens with eight tracks. Oh, okay. You're are you young enough to have never experienced the joys of an eight track? Never, player? never. I've seen them. Yeah. Well, like if you wanted to listen to a song that was like not at the beginning of one of the tracks, and there were like everything was in four quadrants because it was a stereo, so each quadrant had two tracks, hence the eight track. But unless you wanted to listen to a song, you had to actually fast forward through the entire section of songs to get to it. It was pretty annoying. Oh, the humanity! Yeah. <laughs> so how is that different than like the old cassette tapes? I guess it's the same. It's the same. It, You're right. It's the same, but they basically, instead of it being one continuous uh, stream of music, like in a cassette, they've broken it up into four chunks, and you can jump between the four chunks uh, of the album, of the mm. of the material. So I don't know that it's better. <laughs> Just the way they did it, I don't, I don't, and I don't quite know why, but... Uh, anyway, the main point is, it constantly got jammed. You'd constantly pull the darn thing out, and you'd have tape streaming out of it between the player and, and, and the cartridge. So, anyway. It's a technology best gone. So, I, I was... So, did I get this wrong, or was it actually the Starfleet Science uh, Council that were making the decisions about whether they were going to pay ransom or not? Or or was it, you know, uh, Starfleet government that was... Uh, not Starfleet, the Federation government that was making that decision? It seemed like it was the scientific guys, but it... it Right. Well, they were all called, you know, the few that were named were, were Dr. Somebody and Dr. This. So I assume they were all scientists, but it it does say it's a Federation Council, so I don't know right. if, okay. if the other people in the background were, you know, the presidents or the leaders yeah, of, the, of the whole world. Yeah. Right. It certainly seemed like everyone who spoke was a scientist, with the exception of maybe that that first person who was going and talking about when they first were talking about the ransom, like maybe that person, because he wasn't really named, was a, not a scientist, but the other people who chimed in after him were all of those named Dr. So-and-sos. So, or everyone just has PhDs in something, <laughs> and just to make themselves feel important, they're all referred to as doctors. Ah, there you go. That could be it. But anyways, yeah, you're right, so... Uh... So the, this this doctor council was calling all the shots, right? Kind of un- unexpected. And you would think that there would be still some representative for the planet itself, like you know, have one of them. Oh, those are my that's my family, you know, something. Yeah. Some, Somebody some sort of is someone group. isn't shrunk, right? But nope, they all got shrunk. Yeah, hmm. went down with the ship. All right, uh, my last question, and and uh, it goes back to this the vaudeville flashback. Um, I don't understand the joke that <laughs> Alora and Anzar have. Yeah, is that supposed to be a butt joke? I mean, or not? I don't know. I, you know, it's either offensive, or it just makes no sense at all. Yeah. So Uranus or Uranus? Well, that's what I'm saying. No, I generally don't, don't don't talk about Uranus unless they're making a butt joke. <laughs> <laughs> And no, I didn't. I didn't understand that either. But I thought it was something I was missing from the visuals, since I didn't have the. Visuals. No. But you're just as confused. So no, I. No. The visual is just them standing on stage, reciting those two lines. Oh, okay. And everybody, it shows people in the background, and they're all laughing because this is a hilarious uh, comedy routine, and I'm just like. I don't get it. Is this a, a dated thing? Because I, I thought the joke, the real joke, was the mother. But like that was the the but the punchline was about oh you know he's well, a mama's boy but I don't I don't get it. I wanted I, to be near my mother so I well was... that that's the punchline. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's in reference to some 23rd century joke that we just we don't know yet. That must be it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I was just like, boy, I'm going to be the only. I'm going to feel pretty bad if I'm the only one who don't get this joke. Yeah. It was all of our secret shame. We all. No one was going to talk about it until you brought <laughs> but, it up. But you're right. No, I don't have any problem talking about it. <laughs> you had the bravery to bring it up, Donovan. Oh, that's funny. Now that we're on the page, though, I will comment as an old sousaphone player that 
it's interesting the instrument that he's got on. I mean that that is that that is an instrument, right? Right. Yeah, so, okay. And, so it, Aaron pronounced it beautifully. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to. I wrote it out phonetically. You said that like it was a real word, and I'm like, what? Budapophones? I was saying Budapophone. Budapophone. Okay, that's good. Budapophone. That's how I said it. I don't know if that's how it. Right. But but it does look for those of you don't know the comic. I mean, it does look like a sousaphone. If you're familiar with that, they use it in marching bands. It's the tuba thing. Uh, but the uh, the bell on it, the, the part where the sound actually comes out, is uh, much narrower. Yeah, it looked like a Dr. Seuss thing because it's kind of like wrapped ah, around his hand. It does. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear the sound effects when you actually finish the, you know, the final. You have to find some kind of sound to go in there for the boot up phone. Oh yeah, I was thinking about finding something from a Dr. Seuss c- cartoon. Ah. Okay, now remember I tried to go to a memory engram in my childhood, and I talked about the last day of Pompeii, yeah. which is ridiculous, which I know is an actual historical place with Vesuvius, etc. I found it. What it actually is, <laughs> is a movie called Atlantis, The Lost Continent. Oh. And, and in the end, there's some sort of crystal focusing machine that looks like that, that beams right onto the people of Atlantis and kills them all. So I just, I had to, you know... Explain that before we cut out. It cool. kills them all. Yeah, go go look it up. Atlantis, the Lost Continent. What year was it? Let me find it. Was that like in the seventies or something? I think it's more like the fifties. Fifties? Okay. Because I remember there was an Atlantis when I was a kid. There was an Atlantis movie, um, but I just don't remember that end part that, that I used to actually like. Sixty-one. There it is. Yeah. So it's it's a crystal focusing device. It's like a big diamond in some kind of a, a copper holder, and it's right. shooting a beam at the columns of some kind of big building. Okay. So it does kind of look like that, then. It's exact. I mean, I don't know. I had to pull it out of my head. There you go. Well, maybe that's where they took it from. Interesting. I remember that, that movie from childhood also. So Brian and I are, are similar in age. It, in had, age. it had a it, like an effect on me. I remember seeing it being like, Wow. Right. I just don't remember the beam at the end. Eh, whatever. <laughs> Great. Now we know. I'll just say that doing Gold Key Theater is a lot more fun way to go through these comics. Yes. <laughs> right. We should well, we should do it more often, I think. How many Gold Key do you guys have left? Because I know you've done them here and a there. Lot. And... A lot. Didn't they have like, like 70 or something? Like 63. Yeah, and this is the 18th one. There was a few reprints, uh, so we, we've done those too. So um, we've done 23 out of the 65 hmm. gold keys. So hmm. a little over 35% or so. Wow. Cool. Well, so we need to start cranking them out more often. So uh, when we do them again, would, would Brian and Aaron, would you guys be willing to come back? It would be an honor. I, I agree with Brian, absolutely. Excellent. And not to uh, not not to foreshadow too much, but the next story has to deal with uh, I think three superpowered uh, villainesses. Oh, <laughs> Aaron, you might be busy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind talking to myself. It's okay. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be great. Okay, well then, um, if anybody have any closing closing remarks, Aaron, fine. Oh well, thank you guys, and thanks for all the listeners for you know listening to this. It's 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 been a lot of fun. So yes, our well, this, listeners. I have to say this is recorded on December twentieth, two thousand fourteen. So I I have to put it out there in in the universe that I'm stupid excited for the Planet of the Apes Star Trek crossover. It's ah. going to begin in a week or so. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, we're looking forward to that and reviewing it. Mm-hmm. So when we review those, uh, do you want to guess? Oh, star? I so do. I so do. I think we can make that happen. All right. Okay. Well, then uh, we'll go ahead and close up this this issue or this episode. Um, Ken and I will be back next week with the uh, review of Flesh and Stone, Captain's Log, Sulu, and Alien Spotlight Q, all from uh, I- IDW. Cool. Nice. Lovely IDW stuff. Right. 
So uh, thanks again, Brian, Aaron, and everybody else, because uh, we're, we're supposed to have some more voices that uh, just weren't able to make it to the live recording. So thank you to them in advance. Right. They'll be edited in. Okay. Well, thank you for everybody who's listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.